Hello, and welcome to your next episode of Fixing Fitness with Kelly, the show that serves up real talk about fitness with a focus on why traditional fitspo just doesn't serve women in their 30s. Let's talk about what we can really do to get results that make all the effort worth it. Get more on the website at kellymarieroach.com, including exclusive access to my head-to-toe mobility routine when you download my free guide to the five worst exercise cues in the fitness industry. And tune into the Kelly M. Roach YouTube channel for weekly videos offering fresh perspectives on fixing fitness topics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back for Season 3, Episode 2 of the Fixing Fitness with Kelly podcast. So last week, we talked a lot about fitness industry marketing tactics and the way that many of us are brainwashed by it into believing certain things, buying into diet culture as a whole. This week, I'm kind of taking a new angle at a similar topic, the same topic, a tangential topic, if you will. And I also have a blog post that kind of talks about this that went up this past weekend that you can check out at kellymarieroach.com. So what we're really going to be angling at in today's episode is determining when we want something because we want it and when we want something because we've been made to believe that we should want it. And it gets into being a really loopy kind of question. It's, it gets very philosophical, but I do think it's an important thing to address, particularly in the context of the fitness industry with all of its sort of insidious marketing tactics that it uses on us. And of course, the long-term effects of being exposed to, raised in, etc diet culture. So let's jump right into season three, episode two. The biggest problem with battling diet culture is that they've successfully tied up many of the things that we probably would enjoy partaking in anyway and attached an unattainable standard to it. We're told we have to have youthful skin, voluptuous hair, perfect makeup, and great clothes, in addition to striving for that unattainable, ever-moving target of just the right amount of thin. So how do we let ourselves care about beauty and fitness without the overtones of diet culture? How do we truly make the shift from valuing the thin ideal above all else to valuing the health and fitness of our bodies? How do we get really honest about whether we're doing our makeup because we like it or because we feel like we look better with it. Better by what standard? Whose standard? Because I do like how fresh I look with a little makeup, how sun-kissed I look with a little bronzer and sunless tanner, and the way my hair looks after a blowout. But do I like all of these things because I've been conditioned to like them? Because women without makeup are invariably made to look haggard? Tan skin is idealized over pale? And they just don't make shampoo commercials featuring women with fine, thin hair, do they? This preoccupation, this inability to delineate between what are my thoughts and preferences and which ones have been put there for me, is a massive distraction. And don't think for a second that this happens to us by accident. But I think I've finally pinned down how to draw the distinction, at least when it comes to what my body looks like. I like how my body looks when it feels its best. And I know that sounds very gratuitous and wishy-washy, so let me explain how I arrived there. We've been taught to completely ignore how our body feels in favor of focusing on how it looks. And how it looks should always live up to the idealized standard of thin and beautiful. 
But where is the room for individual preference? Setting aside the absolutely trash terms of toned and sculpted, some women's preference is to appear just skinny, like a runway model. Others are happier when they have more muscle. And the interesting thing is the vitriol between these two groups. The former proclaiming that the latter looks too masculine, and the latter arguing that the former looks unhealthy. Where do our individual preferences come from? How do we know if we're feeding into diet culture, doing things just to meet a social standard that has been set for us, or if we're doing things because we truly do like to do them? The answer is simpler than you might think. The question to ask yourself is, why am I happiest when my body looks like this? It's going to require you to be brutally honest with yourself. But if there's a whisper that you're happiest when you're skinny because you look most like a celebrity you admire, or because you get more welcomed sexual attraction, or because you're treated better by your peers, colleagues, and family members, it's very possible that you're happy because you've achieved the diet culture standard. Whereas if you're happiest because your body feels it's most functional, you don't fatigue as easily, it's easier for you to move around, it's fun to do physically active things, then it's more likely that you're happy with how you look, whatever that looks like on you, because your body feels its best. The confusing part is that marketing in the fitness industry has convinced us that we will feel our best when we are skinny. And that is just so god-awful disgusting I could puke on my microphone. Our bodies feel the best when they are fit. And fit does not mean thin for everybody. I feel like I need a definition of fit and fitness here because I feel like the diet culture definition is going to undermine me at every turn. So I found an amazing article which cited a scientific study where five components of physical fitness were identified. And what's more, there were differences presented between physical activity, exercise, and physical fitness. So the five components that measure physical fitness were cardiorespiratory fitness, which is the body's ability to uptake and utilize oxygen, musculoskeletal fitness, which is muscle strength, endurance, and power, flexibility, balance, and speed. Now, the cited peer-reviewed research paper mentioned by the article defined physical activity as bodily movement resulting in energy expenditure. Exercise was more specifically planned and structured physical activity. And physical fitness was defined as, quote, a set of attributes that people have or achieve that determines their ability to carry out daily tasks with vigor and alertness without undue fatigue. In the real world, the article said, fitness translates to function. And I think that's pretty spot on. But what does function mean anymore? One might argue that to function in today's society, we have to be able to sit for extended periods of time. In fact, I think it was in the very first episode of this podcast that I talked about how that's often listed as a job requirement. But it used to be the case that our bodies were designed to function for our survival. And that's what our bodies were anatomically designed for. Having a functional body for the sake of survival meant being able to run, move, climb, and walk for activities like hunting, foraging, farming, gardening, preparing foods, preparing shelters, and managing homesteads. And now we don't need our bodies to function in a way that makes them capable of doing all of those things anymore. 
In Western society, we have automated our survival in most ways so that it's really up to us whether or not we want our bodies to continue to function in the way they were designed to function. And if we do, we kind of have to artificially create ways to ensure that it does. We spend most of our time now in modern society using our bodies in ways that they weren't designed to be used. Sitting all day, staring at screens, hunching forward in awkward positions over our tasks. So the goal of physical activity and structured exercise, and the definition of what fitness is, really now just means, does your body function in the way it was anatomically designed to function? And you can see how if you are just behind a desk all day, sitting a lot, being sedentary in your free time, in order to counteract that, you need to be doing planned activities designed to remind and retrain your body back to its most functional state. And this is what fitness is. Fitness does not mean being thin. It means being optimally functional in the way your body was designed to be. Our modern definitions and images of fitness don't necessarily reflect that. The thinness standard aside, look at things like measuring your one rep max on the squat, for example. While that's one way to measure muscular strength, I don't think that maximizing this number necessarily equates to optimal fitness. Ballet dancers are another one I reference a lot for their physical capabilities, but I don't think we are functionally designed to be in point shoes. Marathon runners are another one. I don't think we are functionally designed to run 26.2 miles in one go. So when you get into all of these specific sports and different types of athleticism, things like bodybuilding, ballet, distance running, powerlifting, or any other specific goal-oriented sports, those aren't necessarily a reflection of optimal human functioning either. Those are targeting optimal performance for that particular activity. So if you can wrap your mind around this idea that being fit means optimum functionality for the human body's design, I think that gets us halfway there. And if we can become obsessed with optimizing our body's functionality instead of being as thin as we can possibly be, then we can take back control of the narrative around fitness. When your body is fit, it feels good which means you feel good. And the type of exercise or physical activity you do to improve your body's functionality and feel its best is kind of up to you. As I said, you don't have to train like a bodybuilder unless you want to be a bodybuilder. You don't have to follow a running plan unless you want to be a runner, and so on and so forth. While the studies are pretty consistent that resistance training and some form of cardio training are necessary for optimal levels of fitness, there's no need to conflate those things with performance training plans and hold yourself to an athletic standard of performance if your goal is just to optimize your body's functioning. They're not the same thing, so you don't need to bully yourself by making those comparisons. So now we have to circle back to the part about being brutally honest with yourself and do some work to unlearn a few things. Now, Kate Moss unforgivably taught us to believe that skinny feels good, better than anything. But you really need to sit with yourself and get to the root of why it feels good. And more important, does it actually feel good? If you feel good because of the social accolades, the positive response from society, slipping easily into each new fashion trend, being treated well at work, 
avoiding criticism and earning desired sexual attraction, then you actually feel good because you've satisfied the demands of diet culture. But how do you feel? And how does your body feel? I'm willing to bet it's not nearly as good as you initially believed. And here's the truly amazing flip. Once you turn this around so that the reason you feel good is that your body feels its best, the other benefits that come with it outweigh the supposed benefits offered by adhering to diet culture. You feel mentally clearer, emotionally calmer. Your confidence skyrockets because of what you know your own body to be capable of. And that confidence, clarity, and calm will carry over into your social interactions, so you are likely to find yourself in an even more amazing position. You will receive positive social response from the genuine people reacting to you and not how you look. You will seek out clothes and fashion that you like to wear, regardless of the body type it was marketed to. You will attract positive treatment and desired sexual attention because the way you feel about yourself has healed. These are all things that diet culture puts into a package and tells you that you can only have if you strive to meet its demoralizing standards. But it's a lie. You can have all of these things and more if you start focusing on how to make your body feel its absolute best. And yes, because we spend so much time sedentary in our society, this does require physical activity and exercise. But that's because our bodies are designed for movement. And if we can start appreciating activity and exercise as ways to make our bodies feel good and not as punishment for being skinny, then we've won. So this episode was interesting because it was a lot less scientific and in the weeds of studies and metrics and measurements and things like that. And it's tapping a little bit more into some of the emotional and psychological aspects of fitness, really. Um, And the biggest thing, and again, I wrote a little bit more about this in the blog post I mentioned at the start of the episode. The biggest thing really is asking those brutally honest questions. And it's kind of like having an internal dialogue with a two-year-old because you're going to say, I want this. And then you're going to ask yourself, but why? And you're going to give an answer, whatever that is for you. And you're going to keep coming back. Why? But why? But why do you feel like that? But why do you think that? And you kind of have to keep drilling down layer after layer until you get to the root of things. And once you've kind of gotten to the root of things is where the real power lies. Because that is when you know whether you are directing your own thoughts and opinions or whether those thoughts and opinions have sort of been placed there without you really even recognizing it. And once you've gotten gotten to that point and you decide that what you really want is for your body to feel its best and realize what that actually means, right, that feeling your best does not automatically come part and parcel with living up to diet culture's standards, then you can drive at what true fitness really is. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. I've seen that um, you guys do tend to really like some of the more psychological aspects of fitness when I post episodes about those. So it would be great to get some feedback from you guys. If you can review the podcast, if you can reach out to me on socials, I'd love to hear from you there as well. And it would give me a great idea of what kinds of topics you guys want to hear going forward. So thanks so much for listening. And I'll be back with another new one next week. Bye-bye.